Hello and welcome to another episode at Focal Point. Today we're joined by Christian Ulbrich. I'll give a brief introduction. Christian is the CEO and President of Jones Lang LaSalle, otherwise known as JLL. Christian joined JLL in 2005 as a Managing Director for Germany. In 2009, he became the CEO for the EMEA region and then becoming Global CEO in 2016. Before this, Christian spent seven years as CEO of the Hamburg-based HIH group of companies, following 10 years in senior roles with German international banks. How's your week been, Christian? It has been very good. We had lovely weather, and that makes a big difference in this lockdown environment. Yeah, it kind of definitely shows your mood up. I'm curious that you started your career in investment banking. Many of our listeners, including myself, will be going into investment banking internships this summer. What was the biggest takeaway from your experience? How did it prepare you for your later roles? Well, I was I was obviously uh, helping large companies in, in their financing needs and in all the type of products they, they needed to do their business. And it helped me learn really a lot about different business models and learn a lot how companies are being run. Um, because the, the beauty, at least at the time, was that you were usually talking to the CFO or very senior folks, depending on the size of the company. And, and you could ask pretty much every question because they wanted your money. And, and so you learned a lot about those companies. And I developed a pretty good sense on getting early on a feeling whether a, a company is run well or whether a company is not run well. And, and, and at the time, I, I didn't know what advantage that is. But later on, I realized that I got that learning during my time as a young banker. That's really interesting. So on to kind of more of like topic of JLL, perhaps you could give our listeners an idea of how your time is split as the CEO between different areas, like spending time with clients, maybe recruiting talent, managing kind of financials and people in the firm. Sure. So I have my immediate leadership team, our global executive board, which consists of, of eight members, including me. I spend most of my time with them. And then we have kind of an extended leadership team. So out of the uh, 92,000 people we employ at JLL, 120 people are kind of in the extended global leadership. Mm. And, and so I'm regularly connecting with those either we have kind of group discussions or subgroups or individually. And so I'm, I'm pretty focused on staying in touch with all of them and hear what, what they are experiencing, what we can do better, what works well, and so on. So that is critically important. Then on, on the other side, I have a, a board of non-executive directors, uh -huh. which is a, a set of, of very global, highly experienced leaders who are forming our non-executive board. And I have to spend, obviously, a lot of time with them. And then obviously there is that group of our shareholders. We are a listed company, we are a New York listed company. And so uh, we have a large set of shareholders. And so I have to stay in touch with them. So let's say all of that makes about um, 70, 80% of my time. That wow. leaves about 20, 30% to interact with clients and, and other CEOs uh, who are of importance to us. That's really interesting. So also kind of understand about like the scale of the organization. Obviously, JLL is predominantly a real estate company and 
kind of it's a very physical thing in a sense that it's kind of not a digital sort of product. Um, how has COVID really affected JLL and sort of the wider real estate market, in your opinion? Do you see this is sort of more of an aberration or is there sort of a paradigm shift in sort of more long-term trends? Well, we had a couple of very relevant trends for our industry and particularly for our company, which were happening before. First of all, urbanization is a very important trend for us because our business is pretty much a city business. The second major trend has been that the outsourcing of of real estate services from large corporates is, is growing. And therefore, again, our addressable market has been growing. Third important trend is that Uh, the allocation of capital. There's a lot of capital being created, especially during crisis times, central banks are printing money as if there's no tomorrow. So that that needs to be reinvested, that money. And real estate as an asset class has become over the last 10 years, a uniquely defined asset class. And the allocation to that asset class is growing. The fourth very important trend is obviously the world going digital. And that is not necessarily anything which is particularly favorable for us or particularly unfavorable for for us, but it's obviously changing the way how we do business, how our clients do business very significantly. And so that is a, a critical trend. And the last one is the whole topic of ESG. So if you look at those five trends, which were relevant before the pandemic, how are these trends being changed by the pandemic? And I go now in reverse order. ESG, I mean, I think it's very intuitive. If anything, this is becoming even more important, especially the one on the environmental side, because the world has experienced how vulnerable it is and how connected the world is. And this is exactly the same with a carbon footprint. You know, it's nice if we're reducing the carbon footprint in one place, if that means that we're increasing it in another place, it doesn't really help us. Technology, again, very clear. If anything, the pandemic has accelerated that trend. And those companies who have been lazy on digitizing their their business model Mm. are the ones who are hurt the most. And everybody is now trying to accelerate uh, on that end. And then the three more related immediately to the real estate industry, the low interest rate environment has created a situation that companies actually increase their allocation to real estate. So if before people were saying about 10% is supposed to be invested into real estate of a given portfolio, Mm. it's now moving towards 12%. We are talking billions and billions of additional money behind those percentages. And then the successful large companies are mostly the ones who have been able to deal with that crisis the best. And, and so this outsourcing of real estate will be accelerated because of that reason. To the last one, which is urbanization, which is a big heated debate at the moment in the world. What will COVID do to urbanization? Will people mm-hmm. all move into rural areas because you can work from home and they also have a great internet connection there? Yeah. But mm-hmm. again, we believe at the end of the day, urbanization will continue and and that trend may not accelerate, but it will not revert back. So overall, long answer to your question, uh, how, what does that do to to our business? 
post-pandemic, our business model will be stronger supported by the macro trends which are relevant for us than yeah. before the pandemic. That's very interesting. Most people think of sustainability, which we kind of touched on with ESG. What comes to mind to most people is heavy industry, automotives, sort of airplanes, not exactly real estate. Could you sort of give us an idea of what role real estate, maybe in your opinion, has to play with ESG and how you sort of go about moving JLL towards that? Well, I mean, uh, there are a lot of numbers circling around in the world about who has the uh, biggest contribution to the carbon footprint. If you include the construction of a built environment and the ongoing operation of buildings, mm. the whole built environment is roughly responsible for 40% of the carbon footprint. A big chunk is obviously coming from the construction phase. And so this is very, very large number, 40%. Yeah. So that in itself tells you that we have a big role to play here as a sector. Mm. Ourselves, obviously, we are a service provider. We have in absolute numbers, a very small carbon footprint. We have been very supportive of the Paris Climate Agreement and, and we have... Uh, given ourselves uh, immediately a roadmap to reduce our own carbon footprint. I myself, I'm part of the CEO Climate Alliance of the World Economic Forum. And so we are on a journey to meet at least the Paris uh, Agreement. How can we help our clients to reduce their carbon footprint? And, and that is something where we feel very, very passionate about. And frankly, is also for us an opportunity for uh, growing our business because we are providing advice how they can reduce their carbon footprint. And at the end of the day, we're being paid for providing advice. Yeah, that's very interesting. I don't think many people will realize that it's 40%. It's kind of that high of a number. You can usually just see the building and then you think, ah, oh, you know, it's not like sort of fuel emissions and stuff like that. What do you think are sort of the trends for, we kind of touched on before about your view that, the position of JLL is even actually stronger post-pandemic. What do you think of the trends for flexi-working spaces like sort of WeWork? Obviously, the company got into a bit of difficulty. But now that we have work from home, do you still think that's sort of a strong value proposition for this sort of in-between model? Or do you think it will sort of like it's either going to be just in the office, work from home, and there's not really a space for flexi-working? Well, we believe that flex work will significantly increase post-pandemic. We believe it will also be a big winner of the pandemic. And, and the main reason for that is the expectations from employees with regards to the space which they are receiving from their employers or offered by their employers have also shifted quite rapidly. Because just to have a desk somewhere is not really inspiring. And so with those much accelerated kind of trends, flexibility is increasingly important from an occupier perspective. Mm. And, and what we believe will happen is that corporates will have their own offices still, but their own offices, the footprint which they will lease directly will be reduced. And then they want to have office space, which is flexible. 
Now, the interesting piece is that at the beginning, people thought flex space is cheaper than your own office space. And that in itself is crazy because in any other uh, industry, we know that the more flexibility you are expecting, the higher the price is. Yeah, that's very interesting. You touched on kind of low interest rates causing sort of more of an asset allocation towards real estate, which is sort of presumably going to push down yields. How significant sort of do you think that effect will be and what sort of time lag are we sort of looking at to see that kind of manifest itself into sort of lower yields in the market or has it already sort of begun already? Well, actually, that has begun many years ago because the trend to low interest rates, depending a little bit on the currency, has been ongoing for a couple of years, especially when you look at the eurozone. And so yields have been decreasing now over years and years on the on the real estate side mm. and, and have uh, reached a bottom just about before the pandemic for, for most of the asset classes within real estate. Overall, there is a correlation between interest rates and yields for real estate. Yeah. Because you look at the risk-free interest rate and then you look at the risk premium you would expect from entering into a real estate investment. And that risk yeah. premium depends very much on the type of asset you are investing in. But when, when that risk-free interest rate is literally zero or even below zero, then obviously you will see certain types of assets coming down in their yield profile as well. And, and so now we are at that very low level. There's a lot of discussion over the last two to three months on how quickly really uh, interest rates will increase again and what impact that could have on, on the real estate sector. That's very interesting. Sentiment kind of is like, you seem to sort of definitely be kind of quite bullish about it, but I'm sure that sentiment is somewhat negative in certain areas of the market. I'm wondering whether, do you think this sort of creates some opportunities for good valuations and acquisitions on sort of more of an investment side? Well, at the end of the day, you need people having different views. <laughs> to have a transaction, you need a seller and you need a buyer. And, and, and usually they have to have different views. The seller thinks it's a great opportunity to sell and the buyer thinks it's a great opportunity to buy. And when you have uh, fast changing market circumstances like we had, when you look at the retail sector, um, if you're owner of a shopping center and everything is in lockdown, um, that is not great. Mm. And, and so values for shopping centers have come down very significantly, or you could argue in some cases there isn't a market anymore because there is neither a seller nor a buyer because the seller doesn't want to sell at a very low price and the buyer still doesn't want to buy at a very low price because they don't know what's going to happen even after mm. reopening because it's not only that you have that shopping center you need tenants in that shopping center and if those retailers cannot survive or if they survive they cannot pay the same level of rent you have to completely readjust pricing for, yeah. for shopping centers. Now, whether there is a big opportunity at the moment to buy at that in that kind of uncertainty, or whether that is not a great opportunity, only time will tell. You know, it is it depends very much on the specifics of the assets. I think what is fair to say is that the best assets in the best locations will probably be fine. Yeah, that's very interesting. 
on sort of more of a personal note, sort of clear, you're very passionate about real estate. Can you tell us a bit about sort of your journey to sort of JLL and, and sort of why you joined? To be honest, that is, uh, that is more coincidental than a strategic plan. I was pretty passionate as a young student already to get into banking. I did my first kind of two-week internship in a bank at the age of 15, and I was absolutely clear that I wanted to become a banker. And so I started my career in banking, and it, it worked out really well for me. And I became CEO of a small bank in Germany at a very young age. And, and then I was approached by a banking group in Germany who asked me whether I would want to work for them. And to my own surprise, it turned out that they didn't want me as a banker. They wanted me to become CEO of a real estate group. <laughs> and I said to the, to the owner of that whole group, uh, I said, listen, I have absolutely no clue about real estate. So why would you ask me to run a real estate group? And it's quite funny. He said to me, because I don't trust real estate people. I want a banker to run my real estate group. And so I took the role to run that real estate group and got into that industry. And I have to say for the first kind of 18 months, I felt between mediocre and uncomfortable in that world because it was cultural, a very different world to what I was used to. But what I realized is that banking is incredibly regulated. And so your ability to be really entrepreneurial was very much hindered by that regulation. Yeah. And so I started to really enjoy that, that industry. And, and then when I I did that role in that company for, for more than seven years. And, and then I was approached by, by JLL and, and here we go. That's very interesting. Do you think sort of there's as much opportunity in finance and real estate as sort of when you got started? Do you think that if you sort of were perhaps starting today, kind of the age of sort of a university student, you'd kind of do the same route again? Well, I have my own children who are who just finished university and you know they 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 should do what they feel passionate about. That's the first thing. You should always do where you really develop passion for. Don't be mm. focused on where can I make money or where can I do this or that. Just think about what do I really enjoy because what you enjoy you will be good at and when you're good at something you will have probably a great career. So that's point number one. If you ask for a comparison between finance and real estate, again, I would say that the real estate sector offers more room for entrepreneurial development. Mm. And I would say that in some areas, the real estate sector is probably 10, 15 years behind the finance sector. So if yeah. you are a tech interested student who has a passion for numbers and those type of things, I would rather go into the real estate industry because with those skill sets of being financially savvy, being tech savvy and, mm. and having some entrepreneurial spirit and, and interest in, in the real estate sector, you probably have a great run. That's fascinating. I think that's probably a great note to end on. So thank you so much for all your very interesting insights. I found that's a very interesting conversation and hope to definitely talk to you again soon. Thank you, Danielle.